Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help you ease your mind. We'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening so you never have to have a spooky time. It's ruined. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I'm Hallie. And I'm Allison. And this is Ruined, and we'd like to welcome all you Servidiots uh, to the pod. This is, of course, a new nickname for our fans we're trying out. Yes. Um, We debuted it at our live uh, online live show that happened uh, in in real lifetime. This just happened, but for you guys probably a week or two ago, depending on when this gets released. Um, so we hope you guys had fun and came to that, and we apologize for any and all technical issues in the Once past again, and moving forward. <laughs> truly apologize. I yeah. don't know how the internet works, so nope. the idea of resolving it is daunting, but we are going to yes. look into it. But thank you for coming and buying merch and tipping us and doing all the wonderful things that you guys do. And I hope that everybody had fun and we will be doing more. So keep an eye on our social to see like when more live shows will be happening. Absolutely. And we we definitely will be doing one in the new year. And let's just say it will probably be a scream. That's not even a double on top. Okay. No, it's just like That's not even a hint. It's nothing. (laughs) Um, But we like to uh, start these episodes when we have a bunch of, with a a great question from you guys. We love when you ask us questions and you can email us um, at ruined at the radio point.com. Is that it? I haven't said yeah, it in a long you time, it. and it always it always sounds like it's. Wrong. We've been doing this for so long, and we say it I every know, time, and we, I none, know. we neither of us can remember. Not it. not a once will we be confident in saying that email address. Um, <laughs> but th- but please send in questions you have for us about movies or horror movies or nightmares or anything really that you want. Um, and this one is for Hallie um, from Lindsay L, who emailed right. us um, shortly after the live show, and she wrote, "What is your process?" Do you watch the movie all the way through taking notes as you go, or do you watch it twice? And this is something I'm also very curious to hear, is how you, you know, having done it once for William and, and knowing how I had to do it. Oh, a movie I, I could not stomach about. to watch more than once, so. This is a phenomenal question. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Um, there's been sort of two methodologies that I use, um, depending on whether or not I'm seeing a film in theaters, which has always been, uh, I've only done uh, three times. Mm. And is very dumb, oh, but yeah. I could, will continue to do it. Um, one, if it's something I can get on streaming or online, I will watch it through by myself and pause it to take notes. So it might be a two-hour movie, but I keep pausing it to mm-hmm. add notes, to bring up little things I want to talk about. Yes. So it ends up taking hours at a time, more than yes. it should, but it, you know, a substantial amount of time. When it comes to something like old or uh, we just did Antlers, the live show, I will watch it. it. Literally, this is so dumb and there's probably a much easier way to do this. I just don't know what it is. <laughs> I am in a darkened movie theater with a notebook no. <laughs> no. taking notes. Um, and then fortunately, again, as we said during the live show, um, 
somebody who uh, close to the pod found me a link to Antlers Online that was, again, perhaps not above board. That was great because <laughs> I could watch it and go through again. Well, you but had already, it, t- to me, that's okay because you had already paid for a ticket and seen it. Like, Absolutely. And I'll I'll rent it again. You were not going to go see it again in theaters for fun. And like, you would rent, but like, this was the option. This was what you had in front of you. Like, I think that like, you did due diligence. Thank you. When I saw Old, I... Saw it twice in theaters, which was as painful as it sounded, oh, taking God. notes each time. And then after the second time, I immediately went home and wrote down all my notes. Mm-hmm. And then for Malignant, we I saw it in theater. Oh, no, I was going to, I watched it at home. Didn't take oh, notes because right. Dave, boyfriend of the pod, and I were having like a date night. So we watched Malignant without taking notes. An absolute Romantic. blast and a half. <laughs> and then I was going to watch it again to take notes. And unfortunately, it was pulled off of streaming because of like... Mm. The COVID era deals that all the studios make. Yeah. You know what I mean? So they expire and then, yeah. Yeah. So it was on HBO Max. Fortunately, it then returned to streaming a couple days before the live show. So I was able to go back. I had written down my notes, but I was able to go back and actually stop it and watch it like I prefer to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is the right way to do it. It's simply the way I do it. And I think it's because it minimizes the unknowns. Like I like to have a note about everything in yes. case our conversation brings it up. No, I think that's smart. Yeah. Are you a handwritten note person or can you are you adept at typing on your phone quickly? Well, that's the thing. That's why I was so nervous about the live shows because I have horrible handwriting. And Me too. If you think it's bad during the day, and it is. Imagine it in, in the dark, in a in theater. The dark. It's um, the scribbles of a mad woman. Incomprehensible. Yes. So I really need, my, my ideal setup is watching it, you know, on streaming or whatever. Being able yes. to pause it on my laptop and then take notes as I go. Yes. I have I, a notebook full of in-the-dark scribblings that mm-hmm. e- an- anthropologists won't be able to decipher. No. I I think that my hierarchy of note-taking or writing just across the board is uh, typing on laptop, then handwriting, then typing on phone. Oh, interesting. Okay. Like, I would prefer to type on my laptop. That is where I am the fastest and the clearest. That is just, I am the most comfortable there. But I... How a decade into having an iPhone, like I still like truly cannot type on it. I like it feels like I feel like my mother sometimes using like one index finger to type, and I'm like, "But this is wrong. This is not how this should be done." It does make you remember like Blackberries and other like cell phones that were maybe a little more conducive to typing long emails and stuff. Yeah, that Apple just crushed and destroyed, and we moved past. But had their use. So because mm-hmm. they weren't chic or whatever, we, right. we will never know the enjoyment of being able to actually write a lot on our phones and be comfortable. Yes. Yeah, because I find it very uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. even though I have terrible handwriting as well, would prefer just in general to write. I also write like in a lot of like you have to return, like hit return several times on your iPhone or whatever, because it usually thinks you're like closing an app. Or, like, so I feel it's yeah. not ideal. I watched William once all the way through and just paused it a bunch of times and it turned into an entire day and it was uh, the worst day of my life. <laughs> it takes so much longer than you think it will be. I yeah. actually, the, the, the movie we're doing tonight felt like it took forever because it I mean, did. And then I The trailer up, itself is two and a half minutes and I was like, this is a lot to sit through. And, and we've said this before, outside of a very particular subset of movies, horror movies should be no longer than 90 minutes. There's simply yes. no need for it. No need. And this, I think, is a great example of a movie where, like, it wasn't crazy long, but, like, we could have trimmed. We could have yes. tightened. We could have pulled the threads a little bit, you know? Find some room in the edit. Make a, yeah. Not everything needs to have a ton of air. 
Um, which brings us, of course, to this uh, week's movie. It is a prequel to a film we did previously. And mm-hmm. um, that film that we did previously was The Conjuring. And the movie that we are doing this week is, of course, 2014's Annabelle. We mm. always like to have um, Allison watch the trailer. So, Allison, what, what are your thoughts about the Annabelle trailer? I mean, this fall, and we will, I'm sure, get into it in the movie. But, like, again, just seeing, and I think you referenced Annabelle when I brought this up in Brahms colon the boy too. Um, mm-hmm. It's a scary, scary doll that yes. shouldn't be in your, like, it's like if you bring this into your home, like, I think everything that happens to you is your fault. Like, yes, I think this is completely reasonable. There is no, no, no reason to think that this doll is not going to bring chaos and violence to your life. Um, I will say this we will meet the first family who owned. Annabelle, or or encountered Annabelle in the offing of the creation of Annabelle as mm-hmm. an evil entity. And she did look a little spooky, but not like she does in the rest of the movies. Like, she looks yeah. like, you know, a Victorian porcelain doll. So creepy inherently, but not all scarred and fucked up like she does yeah. later in the, in the films, you know? Yeah. So I would say this is the one family, and the people in this film are the uh, people who uh, get a pass. Um, this, of yes. course— is also, um, it exists in the Conjuring universe, which means there is, we make reference to Ed and Lorraine Warren, mm-hmm. the um, spiritual investigators slash absolute grifters who appear in the Conjuring. Um, they are referenced, they do not appear in the film, which I think is a very funny way to tie them in and have them referenced. But of course, this yes. means this takes place in uh, 1969. You know, this is a period okay. piece, yes. fun costumes, fun hair. Uh, perhaps some um, social, inadvertent social commentary about where we were at that point in time oh, is maybe how okay. I would uh, say uh, the ending of this film felt like. Um, okay. But we always like to take a baseline scary, and I'm going to keep it simple this time, Allison. Right. Allison, how scary do you find the concept of Annabelle? I mean, now that I've seen her, mm-hmm. extremely. Yes. Like, I don't know anything. Like, I wouldn't say that the trailer actually gives you, for how long it is and how much you see. I didn't think it gave me like a sense of like what the deal was with her. Yes. Um, so it's hard for me to say like what her origin story would mean for me as as a terrified person. But <laughs> I mean, she's very scary. I would say that one of the things that is underratedly scary about her is her size. Yes, um, I, she is um, the size of a child. Basically, she's yes. not a little like a Barbie or like a stuffed animals. She's quite well, large. There was a doll, and, like, I think it might have been in the Barbie universe, but, like, it came out maybe when, we, like, when we were children that was, like, the size of, like, a two-year-old. Yes, absolutely. Do you remember? I remember and this. it was, like, such yeah. an awkwardly sized doll because, like, it wasn't really, like, if you were old enough to play with it, it wasn't really the size of a peer. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like my, like, it wasn't like, oh, like, this doll and I are wearing the same outfit. Like, it was still, like, smaller than a child who could play for it, but much larger than any other toy or doll you would have. Yes. Menacing, I would say. And I feel like Annabelle, you know, that's who she is. And I think that this movie does a good job of, like, you are not aware of Annabelle's size except when you need to. Mm. And then when you see, you're like, good, goddamn, that's a big doll. <laughs> like, you're shocked by how large she is. Yes, yes. Um, and before we get into things, uh, we always like to have Allison guess the twist. Guess the twist. I think, I mean, like, it's easy to fall onto, like, 
she is cursed for some reason. Like, and I, I'm going to guess, like, the reason that she's bringing havoc to this couple has to do with, like, something this couple did. I like that. I'm going to give you a hint, and it's not going to be okay. a hint because it would be impossible for you to guess this. But I'm just saying what I would consider the hint or sort of the la- the late late movie, um, you know, mm-hmm. left turn made me mm-hmm. incredibly angry. What do you think that'll be? Oh. I was seething by the end of this movie is what I'm saying. I, I guess like maybe ha- it's got it because like it's from what I could tell, Annabelle was probably a person who died. So I'm going to guess how the person died. Mm-hmm is what is enraging you. Okay, great. I really like that. Maybe murdered by a man, which is always enraging. (laughs) All right, love it. So let us begin by ruining Annabelle. Oh, I also want to mention, because I did not realize it until our producer Sabrina texted me, which is so dumb, but as soon as she said it, I knew it. Our lead in this film, um, who we'll meet in a little bit, her name is Mia. She is played by Annabelle Wallace, who is the lead in Malignant. And is sort of a leading lady in the James Waniverse. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, uh, the guy who wrote Annabelle also wrote, um, you know, Annabelle Origins, yeah. I believe. He yes. co-wrote something with James Wan. Like, he, they're all sort of in the same wheelhouse. But I, it, it has a lot of similarities with regards to a mother, mm-hmm. a, a, a gorge. We'll get to the apartment and the house. There's some, the, the, the locations in this film, absolutely yeah. stunning. Oh, well, Perfect. But I just want to flag that where it's like you're what this poor woman. You know what I mean? Like an actress where like every it's like, oh, I have to show up and be terrified and scream all day. Yeah. Okay, great. See great. you on set. Gonna have to act like I'm getting almost murdered for 18 hours. Just howling for my life, clawing at the walls. Great. <sighs> great. So we begin with, of course, my favorite thing. And this movie, I'm sorry, I don't want to shit talk movies, but everything in this movie makes me so mad. And the first thing out of the gate is. The text on the screen, since the beginning of civilization, dolls have been beloved by children, cherished by collectors, and used in rituals as conduits for good and evil. Bitch, did you think that you had to explain what a doll Doll? was? How dare you? Hey, you dumbasses. I was so mad. Do you know what dolls are? No? Here's a summation of different ways they've interacted with society. Like, no, I know what a doll is. Oh my God. It just, I was so, like, right after, I'm like, I know what a doll is. You don't have to tell me, like, it's some, you know, arcane thing. You don't have to tell me what a doll is. I've known my entire life what a doll is. So we open on the (laughs) scarred eye of Annabelle the doll. And so we are seeing the exact same um, beginning that we saw in The Conjuring. So it's two women who are nurses, uh, Camilla and Debbie. And their silent boyfriend slash roommate, Rick, he doesn't have anything to say. And um, Camilla tells us, my mother bought me this doll, and the doll was moving around the house, so me and Debbie contacted a medium, and the medium told us that the spirit of a little girl named Annabelle Higgins had taken a liking to the doll, and she just wanted to be friends. And in the the intro, which we also saw in The Conjuring, they're speaking to Ed Lorraine Warren, and they're, of course, like, Yes. You dumbasses. Like, that's not the spirit of a child that's trying to get into the doll. It's obviously some sort mm-hmm. of entity. And Ed asks, how did you come to possess the doll? Debbie informs him, my mother gave it to me as a gift, but I don't know where she got it, and we are beyond terrified. What mother of an adult woman no. who is so adult that she is working as a nurse, one right. of the hardest jobs, Yes, is bringing that thing that we have seen in this, it's like it's not like this is like, oh, she's cute. She's not all fucked up yet. 
a mangled Mm-mm. scar doll. Mm-mm. You as a adult adult woman say, I'm going to buy my adult daughter this doll and give it to her. That And like you said, that's on you then. That's on you. And like, that's on you. What would you, if you, if you came home and your mom was like, I got you a present and gave you a doll, what would you say to her? I would immediately drive her to the ER. I would yes. drive her, she would like, I'd be like, well, she's having some sort of cognitive decline. Like, yes. there's some sort of medical issue here. Something has happened. There's absolutely no way. What would yeah. you say if your mother got you, Annabelle? I'd be like, let's get rid of it. Yeah. Let's, like, let's get, let's, like, that, everything about this is wrong. Like, also, you're going to a hospital. Um, Like, there's just no, <laughs> there's just, like, no excuse for yeah. adults giving other adults dolls. I would, there's, there's simply, and, and, and if, and that's another thing about this movie, if this is true, if then, well, what is it, like, Yes, and if this, then what else? If if this is true, give me. Yeah. Oh, my mother's a dog collector. I've always collected. Say one line to ex- right. explain to me, right. an adult woman, why an adult woman would give another adult woman a yes. doll like this. Yes. Because I don't believe if it. If it's like, oh, this is ex- extremely valuable and will only yes. become more of it, I'd be like, great. It's a weird investment piece, but like, do you financially? Exactly. You're obsessed with dolls. I need it. And that's right. why Animal is should be about uh, a gay man. And I'm not saying mm. that gay men collect dolls. I'm just saying that's more fun. Like, if it's like, oh, it's an yeah. eccentric doll collector mm-hmm. and he gets mm-hmm. Annabelle, that's, yeah. I want to watch that movie. But that's a movie. we're back there. We're not there. We know this is all about religion. So we find ourselves at a Catholic church in beautiful Santa Monica, California. It is 1969. And this is, we are told, one year prior to Debbie and her, and the gang, Consulting mm-hmm. and Lorraine. So this is a prequel. This is sort of the okay. Annabelle, yes. where'd she come from? I'm going to go MC. ahead and say... I don't remember a ton about The Conjuring. <laughs> and I, you don't need to. You absolutely don't need to. You just know this doll's evil, and we're finding out why is she so gosh darn evil. Yes, yes. I mean, I remember she was there, but like, yes, as a side exactly. That's a all side I need piece. to remember. <laughs> um, so Father Perez is giving mass, and in the, I wrote audience, in the congregation, we see a pregnant couple, Mia and John, who are playing thumb war while under the pew, sort of trying to remain straight-faced. And me and John are, and listen, I'm white. I'm not saying anything bad about white people. This movie is hammering home. It's like the purity of their white heterosexual love, their childbearing family, the sanctity of their home. I'm like, we get it, okay? Like, we live in America. Like, you don't have to be like, yeah. we're the most perfect family with the most perfect baby. We we never argue. We do. We apologize two seconds later. Like, they don't have to be like this way, right. but it is. But it is. On their way to church, they catch up with their next-door neighbors, Pete and Sharon Higgins. And Mia actually finds Pete's wife, Sharon. She's lighting a prayer candle, and she's praying. And we see her sort of furtively wiping her eyes, and she's been crying. And Sharon says, did Pete send you? I swear he thinks one day I'll just run off too. So we they don't say this, but we know that Sharon and Pete are middle-aged. So from her demeanor, okay. it's clear Sharon is talking about a child of theirs who has mm-hmm. run away. And again, it's the late 60s. You know, there's much more of, like, hitchhiking, like, following bands, bumming around San Francisco. Right. Like, Santa Monica is, like, everyone's a doctor or a lawyer. Everyone has a little home. It's yes. adorable. And then sort of this outside fear, you know, sort of the yes. idea that your child's going to run away and, and join God knows what right. group. And, and do get drugs. in a car on the PCH and go north into a commune and you—that's it. And disappear. And that, and and what's great about this part of the movie, and I do think there are good things about it. I don't want to shit talk this movie because there are some really fun things. Mm-hmm. That did happen. So you mm-hmm. are preying on this, like, fear that was real. And mm-hmm. and they do feel bad, you know. So John and Mia give Pete and Sharon a lift home. And once they're alone, they're going into their, again, their beautiful craftsman home, single-family home. Once they're alone, Mia tells John, you know, we shouldn't talk about the baby so much. Mia is 
I don't know. I get it. You know what? You think I'm bad at ch- children's oh, ages? God. I mean, I don't know when what a pregnant what a pregnancy is. You know what I mean? Had enough She's friends who have pregnant. kids that I could not. I'm like, and I'm like, is it tomorrow? And they're like, what? <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I just told you. I'm three months long. Right. Mia is very pregnant, and she says to John, "We shouldn't talk about the baby so much. They just lost their daughter two years ago." And John says, well, they didn't lose their daughter. She ran away and joined up with the hippies. And isn't that a fate worth a, worth a death, Allison, to join I mean, up with the hippies? That's it. And so we see John open the door, and Mia says, well, why, don't, why didn't you lock the front door? And John's like, we don't have to do that. We never lock the door. And Mia tells him, you have to. It's a different world now. And to what are we referring, Allison? Of course, we cut to the television, and we see a report on the Manson family. Times, they are changing. Wow. Teenagers and young people, they are joining murderous cults. And Mia watches, you know, obviously transfixed as the whole nation was yes. while she's sewing a quilt for the baby. And John's working on the kitchen table. He's in his residency. So he has to finish his residency and then you have to go into a lottery where like you try to get placed in different um, hospitals. And you can sort of pick which ones, whatever, your top, however, and then you have to be placed there. Mm-hmm. So John tells her, hey, can you shut off all the TV where it's nonstop coverage of this cult that murders the, murder those people, including a pregnant woman, mm-hmm. um, because I'm trying to work. And he tells her, like, you know, I'm not telling you what to do, but I am because I am a man in his 60s and I'm mm-hmm. a doctor, a doctor. Babies can experience the world in the womb. So you just hear all this stuff about murder and stuff. It just makes me concerned, you know. Oh my God. And John sort of complains about how hard it is going to, into his residency with a newborn. And Mia takes offense because she's like, well, I'm already nine months pregnant. You know, she storms off to the nursery. John comes in to apologize. And he's like, you know, I'm being really self-centered and I'm sorry I'm stressed out, but I am very excited about the baby. And just because something is challenging doesn't mean it won't be wonderful. And she accepts his apology. And we have a sweet moment of white happiness before all hell breaks loose in these people's lives. And John says, I got you something. I got something to give you. And... Mia says, last time you said that, I ended up pregnant. And that would be a more fun scene. But instead, John brings her a giant box. And inside, Allison, what is it? It's got to be Annabelle. Giant. It's unfortunately Annabelle. Annabelle. It's a huge box. And so, Mia. Yeah, because she's a huge doll. It turns out Mia is a doll collector. And Annabelle is part of a set of three dolls, all of whom are hideous. I mean. And two of which she already has. Okay. And... Annabelle looks scary, like she's a huge doll, but she doesn't have scars. She's not discolored. Like she has, she's wearing too much makeup and she's too big, but haven't we all been there, you know? (laughs) And so um, as they sleep, they leave the window open a crack. And we see, again, it's a great shot beautifully. We see the light go on next door and it's Pete and Sharon's bedroom. And we see Pete sort of shoot up out of bed and Sharon calls the police. And suddenly, all in silence, a geyser of blood sprays against the window. And we hear Sharon scream as a man in white approaches her with a knife. And she falls against her bedside lamp and light goes out. So then when Sharon and and, um, John get up, they look over there, but there's no lights and nobody's screaming. So she's telling him, like, I I swear to God, I heard a scream from next door. They're trying to peer across the alley. And Mia says, no, shouldn't we call the cops? And John, who is book smart, but not actually smart, says, no, I'll just go check it out. Yeah, see, Great idea, John. No moron. Men and their egos. Even worse, Mia follows him out onto the porch. So she's watching him go into the house. She, her, the door is open. She is outside her own home. Suddenly, John runs back and his pajamas are covered in blood. Mia's, of course, like, oh, fuck. Yeah. He says, don't worry, it's not my blood, but run back inside and call don't the worry. fucking cops. Yeah. 
Mia runs back into the house, but Allison, she leaves the front door open. Oh, so no. when she's on the phone with the police, also 911 did not exist. It, it, it did exist in 1968, but apparently, according to Amazon trivia, this they wouldn't have been able to call 911. But you got to be able to call somebody, probably. Somebody, yeah. There's a there's a phone near an ambulance or a police officer somewhere, and she's called those people. Okay. So as she's calling, we see a woman with long hair and like a long plain white dress walk through the nursery and pick up Annabelle the doll behind her. No. And Mia runs to put on her robe to like run back to John and help. And she hears a woman's voice whisper, I like your dolls. And Mia turns around and the woman's there. And she's like, uh, take the dolls, take anything you like. Yep. Please do not hurt me and my husband. Unfortunately, while Mia is pleading with this woman, behind her, the man in white who we just saw stab Sharon emerges from her closet, grabs Mia and stabs <sighs> her in the abdomen. What? Awful shit. Luckily, John has come back inside and he's able to tackle the guy. And then it's just pandemonium. Like, he's wrestling with the guy. The woman runs over and grabs the knife. The knife falls on the floor. John has to, like, shove her out of the room. Mia has started to lose consciousness because she's bleeding out. Yes. And in the meantime, John has to fight two crazy people. And trying to figure out what to do, just then the woman runs into the nursery and shuts the door and locks it. Just as the police arrive. And they're able to shoot the man in white, killing him. Okay. And they're banging on the door of the nursery, trying to get this woman to leave. As the paramedics take Mia out on a stretcher, she's still alive. John is still alive. Mia catches a glimpse inside the nursery door, which has been broken open. And she sees the woman has slit her own throat and written. It's a symbol. To me, it looks like an A in blood Mm -hmm. on the wall while clutching Annabelle the doll. And unfortunately, Allison... As we watch, a drop of blood drips from the woman's neck onto Annabelle's face, and it runs into her eye socket, and it slides behind her eye. Hey, this is about blood and a doll. Yeah, bad news. I don't like it. I don't like it. We hear a news report. A man and his wife were brutally stabbed to death by their estranged daughter, Annabelle Higgins, and her unidentified boyfriend. The two are believed to be members of a cult. So, you know, we're, this is all okay. about, like, the Manson family. This is Got all it. about yes. satanic cults, murderous yes. cults in this era. So it's sort of preying on that societal concern. Mm-hmm. So luckily, in the hospital, Mia gets an ultrasound. The doctor's like, I have great news. The amniotic sac was not punctured. The baby looks good. However, because of the shock and the trauma, your cervix is about to blow. So in order to get a few more weeks great. on the pregnancy, again, I don't know how pregnant she is, but in order for her to stay pregnant, um, yeah. for her safety Long and the time. baby's safety— She's on bed rest. So she has to be in that bed at home all the time. And he's like, you can get up to go to the bathroom, but really any greater exertion is going to put you and your child's safety at risk. And so Mia has to rest and relax. And you know what's not relaxing? Being haunted by a doll. And unfortunately, that's what she's got to deal with for the rest of the fucking movie. So they go home. And Mia is understandably traumatized. And I keep feeling bad. I'm like, oh, it was the 60s. She probably couldn't just find a therapist. Like, I I mean, like, there was therapy at the time. But it's like, now you'd be like, well, obviously you have to go to a therapist. You probably have, like, PTSD from something like that. Like, you barely survived a murder attempt. Like, people broke into your home. But they're like, no, we're going to get through it. And uh, we'll go to mass. And we'll just figure it out. Yeah. And, uh... So, obviously, Mia's free. She's like, John, we always have to keep the front door locked. And she keeps the door of the nursery closed, even though John has done a good job and got a bunch of cleaners to, like, scrub the entire house. So, there's no trace of anything that happened. And mm-hmm. he brings in the TV on a cart, and he said he's going to bring in her sewing stuff, and she could, she'll be all set up in the house. But Mia is, uh, like, psychologically going through it, and she tells John, 
if something were to happen during labor, I'm not saying it's going to, I'm just saying, please promise me that you will pick the baby's life over mine if you have to. And John's like, that's not going to happen. What are we talking about? Right. You know, like the doctor said you and the babies will be fine. You know, obviously being attacked, almost killed. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like dampened your mood about the pregnancy. Yeah. And she's like, I just want you to promise me. And he says, yes, He's prom- he promises, but it's all going to work out and be fine. Okay. Maybe eventually, but not right now, you know? Yeah. That very night, Mia wakes up to the sound of the sewing machine whirring in the living room. And John gets up and he grabs a baseball bat. And he's like, well, God damn it, I'm going to have to kill somebody else. And he goes into explore Move. only to find the machine, the sewing machine running on its own. Okay. Mia's in bed freaking out. He just pulls a cord. He's like, it's fine. It must be malfunctioning. On his way back to bed, he sees that the nursery door is open, which it was closed before, and finds Annabelle sort of wedged behind the door, and he puts Annabelle on a rocker and goes to bed. Okay. And we hear the rocker creak back and forth, back and this forth. This bitch. In the morning, Mia, obviously still going through it, is watching a movie while sewing. She also makes a comment, and he's like, don't be watching all those soap operas. She's like, I fucking hate soap operas. I will not be watching soap operas. Suddenly, the TV starts to short out. So as if things were bad enough, now the TV's not working when it's in the, t- in the um, bedroom. There's nothing she, like, else to do. like, hurls a book at it to shut it off. Yeah, so she's sewing. This woman sews more than anyone has ever sewed. Y- you wanted to be like, you wanted to see what she made at the end. Because she's obviously making a quilt. I wanted to see, like, the shaking out this gigantic 20 You never get quilt. the reveal of the final product? Again, a woman didn't write this movie. Not I, that women are inherently quilters, but I'm just saying the whole time, I'm like, uh, what is she uh, making? She's sewing right. the whole time. Let's yes. see it. I want to see what she made. Also, let's be honest. We might have seen it, and I just forgot. Let, let's be okay, totally yes, reasonable. Yes, yeah, full transparency there. Allison, from the other room, she hears the rocking chair start creaking, and she sees the door of the nursery is open. But as soon as she goes to the doorway, the rocker stops, and she shuts the door. That evening, John comes back with a ton of random, random junk food, and Mia's like, I don't really have any cravings. I don't know why you got all this stuff. She immediately starts eating a jar of pickles dipped in mustard, and she's like, oh, my God. Like, I've figured it Two out. Two foods I enjoy, but— The perfect yeah. combination, apparently, if you have pregnancy cravings. And John tells her that he had a meeting with his advisor and he really wants to be um, placed at Huntington Memorial, which is in Paxadena. Would that be okay to move? And Mia's Mia's like, yeah, let me think. A change of you would be good. I have no problem with moving. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe we don't need to stay in the home next to our murdered neighbors in a place where, like, violence descended upon our bedroom and my pregnant body and our incoming, like, impending child. Like, maybe maybe we should get a change of scenery. There are plenty of other places we could be living. And Jen says, okay, great. My advisor thinks I should go up to this medical conference in Sacramento and meet a bunch of people from the hospital, and that will sort of just improve my chances of being placed there. And Mia says, that's really fine. It's just a couple days. You know, I'll be fine here. I, you know, I'll, I, you got a bunch of groceries. You go ahead. Unfortunately, John walks Mia back to bed, and we they see them get ready. And we see that Annabelle is sort of flipped over in her chair. And Mia says, with an earshot of the doll, which we know from Child's Play and Brahms, Cole, and the Boy 2, never talk with an earshot of the doll. They can hear you. They know what's going on. They're listening. She says, we have to get rid of that thing. It was in her hands. Meaning, Annabelle the person. This has the same problem as Brahms, the the Boy, Cole, and the Boy 2, is that there's Annabelle the doll, and then there's Annabelle the human being who died while holding, holding Annabelle the doll. So it is a little confusing. I'm going to try to do my best to be clear about which Annabelle I'm speaking about. Just for clarity. Yes. Annabelle the doll was named that before this 
uh, Annabelle the person was connected to her and held her. No. Annabelle the doll, the the only time that we see Annabelle the doll referenced as Annabelle is at the beginning when we see a year from now. In the future, okay. The nurses are like the doll. The spirit told a medium her name was Annabelle. In this movie, no one references the doll as Annabelle. Okay, that's helpful. So the only Annabelle in the film is Annabelle the human. And then I guess we're supposed to think in the future, much like in Brahms, the entity within the doll will alert people of the name it it has. Yes, okay. I guess. Again, there's a lot of things where I'm like, I suppose that's what we're thinking, but I'm not exactly sure. It's a lot of stuff. So, um, John, being a great husband, immediately tosses Annabelle in the garbage can. He's like, oh, you want it gone? It's gone. Takes outside, throws it away. Yes, great. Meanwhile, exactly. Meanwhile, Detective Clarkin, who is the detective in charge of uh, the horrific murders uh, to their neighbors, stops by and just be like, we just want to check in with you. We know we got you all the information. We just want to like talk to you about the night of the murders, see how you guys are doing. And he says, yes, we've confirmed Annabelle Higgins and her boyfriend were in a cult. And John Amir was like, was it a satanic cult? And Clarkett says, yes, it was an occult cult. And we think there was sort of an act to prove their devotion. Okay. And Mia's like, what the fuck is, like, why would somebody do this? And Clarkett just says, crazy people do crazy things. But that's all this was. And I'm like, all this all was? All this was? Like, even if that's true, like, that's still so horrifying. Four people are dead. And Clarkett says, you know, if you want to know more, I'm, like, doing more research about the cult, and I can let you know. And Mia says, uh, unless there's something to do specifically with our safety, I don't want to know anything about it. Like, mm-hmm. please. Yeah. So we don't need to know. That night, John's, like, getting her set up uh, for the evening, and they're going to watch late-night TV, and he puts one of those popcorn, like, the metal popcorn poppers. Yes. I don't know what you call that, but Jiffy yeah. Pop, like, you put them on like the Jiffy um, yeah. stove. Yeah. But by the time he puts it on there, uh, Mia has fallen asleep, so he shuts off the burner, and he leaves it on the stove. In the morning, John goes off to Sacramento, and Mia, who Mia, who's, is looking better, like, perkier, is working on that quilt, baby. She's working on that quilt. She's got big plans for that quilt. She's sewing all day, all night. Not for us, though. We don't get to see it. I mean, it looked like it was going to be pretty cool. It was I all different it was. colors. It's a lot of work. I would have loved to see it. But in the kitchen, because she's running the sewing machine, she does not hear that all the burners have turned on and the popcorn starts popping in the Jiffy Pop. So the stove is on and the popcorn is popping, but it, it, she's in the other room. She can't hear it. Right. And we see Mia, she's trying to watch TV while sewing. We've all been there. I mean. And she's going back and forth. Her eyes are darting back and forth. And finally, she runs her finger into the sewing needle. Yes. And there's blood everywhere. And she runs to the bathroom. And it's only when she starts to smell smoke that she runs into the kitchen. And the popcorn container has caught on fire. And the fire is everywhere. Like, the entire kitchen is ablaze immediately. And I'm like, when did they change things? Like, what what, would the, what was the house made out of? Like, right. was everything so flammable. super flammable then? Well, I mean, Maybe. there probably were fewer laws. But unfortunately, she's imagine. so startled, she trips backwards and hits her head on the floor. So not only is there a fire, she hits her head and she starts crawling into the other room. Allison, we hear a roar and an unseen force drags Mia bodily back into the kitchen Mm-mm. as the house fills with smoke. Luckily, one of the neighbors calls 911. We're assuming. We don't see it, but we know. And the firefighters bust in in time to save Mia. In the hospital, John sprints in. He's like, good God, I'm gone for one day. I'm so sorry. Like, I'm sorry I wasn't there. And Mia tells him, look behind you. And John turns, and Mia's given birth to a beautiful baby girl. 
which they named Leah. Okay. And if I was her, I'd be so much more pissed about him not being there. Not because it's his yes. fault. I would just be really upset that like, yeah. this is how I had to give birth alone. Because back then, trauma. Yeah. If you was your husband in maybe I mean like was the expectation that he would be in the delivery room like maybe it was like oh we'll see him afterwards anyways. Yeah, I mean at that time based on Mad Men, which is my only other reference, um I don't think that the guy was I don't know that the husbands were in there. Okay, so maybe the expectation wasn't there, but luckily— But you would still want him to be, like, a, like also, like— Smoking, handing out cigars. Yeah, a horrific yeah. event happened before you gave birth to the child. Yes, I'd be also be really, like, I'm really sorry the kitchen is also on fire. I don't know yeah. what's happened. So Mia tries to tell John, and he's like, do not worry about it. You're both safe. Like, it's going to be fine. Like, you know, it's just an unfortunate accident. And she tells them, the house is cursed, and I cannot go back there, especially now with the baby. And John— he goes into the um, horror movie Husband Hall of Fame. He says, then you don't have to. And they moved oh, to Pasadena. They finally. must have been renting. Yeah. They moved to Pasadena. And they set up shop in a gorgeous apartment. And this thing, the house is lovely. Yeah. This apartment, you would puke, Allison. Like, this Ugh. is like the biggest fucking apartment. Like, huge, like a long hallway. Wood. Like, beautiful. Like, even the elevator is like this gorgeous dark wood inside. Oh, I love this. Stunning. Mm. Sure, they can hear their upstairs neighbors like yelling at each other and stomping around, but like it's worth it. They're getting their money's worth for yes. whatever they're paying. Um, and they did bring the rest of uh, Mia's damn doll collection, but they tossed Annabelle out. So, you know, things are improving. We're feeling yes. really good. Um, Mia is kind of reticent to go out, but John does convince her to go to mass and bring Leah. And if you're you know, go, she's go like, to church. Let's just go out. Right. Yeah. On their way out, Mia exchanges glances with a na- neighbor, Evelyn, who is played by Elsie Woodard, a phenomenal actress. Yes. And they don't really say hello, but we see that they both live in the building. After church, Father Perez asks to take a photo with Mia and the baby, Leah, to sort of put on the prisoner news bulletin. And Mia says, well, sure, but I don't have to be in it. You just take a picture of the baby, like the announcement. Right. And Father Perez really lays it on thick, and he's like, no, you must— for mothers are the closest to God, for only they can share in God's creative miracle. And she's like, okay, well, I can't, I'm not going to argue with the priest about that. Right. And he snaps a photo of the both of them. And he's trying to, like, talk to her, like, how are you doing? And he brings up the Higgins. He's like, we, we all miss the Higginses so much. And trying to talk to her about her trauma. But Mia is uncomfortable. And as we know from all horror movies, if you're not willing to deal with your trauma, the trauma will come back and it will be a doll. Yes. And it yes. will terrorize your family. It'll ruin your and, life. And she's like, oh, thanks so much, Father. Oh, John's here in the car. Bye, Allison. As Mia and John do the rest of the ride packing, Mia opens the final box and inside, baby, you know it's Annabelle. So, Allison, mm. in this case, what would you do? What would you do? I mean, I think I would destroy Annabelle. Like, not just throw her in a garbage. I think I would, like, burn her to to pure ash. Like, yes. make sure that this entity doesn't exist anymore. And then, you know, this is a nice apartment. I would maybe want to move one more time. I would, yes. wa- I would also just, like, want, like, I don't know what the, you know, I feel like today there are services that do this. Like, if you're if you're rich, you can get anything you want. But, like, I'd be like, we're hiring a 24-hour security coverage. Somebody's in this house with me if things start going south. Like, I somebody's going to be here. Some An outsider yeah. that's not the two of us. 
Just the two of us. And well, well great idea. Annabelle makes three. Just <laughs> the three of um. Yeah, I would. I feel like I'm like I'm like, or at least like so much has happened to her while she's been by herself, and like yes, or the, where I'd be like, if you're gonna be off in your residency or whatever, then somebody has to be here with me who is like a yeah. professional killing machine. Absolutely. Right. One of those professional killing machines you have to, <laughs> that you can hire. Nurse, a professional yeah. killing machine. Yes. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable Internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. John immediately's like, that's crazy. I threw that thing out in the garbage. Like, I'll throw it away again. And Mia says, because again, she has to prove that she's moved on from her trauma. She says, no, I want to keep her. And I want a gift. Or, no. I, she was a gift. And I, I don't want to let that horrible experience ruin it for us. So now, to prove to herself that she's past this trauma, which no one would expect her to be through yet, she has to keep Annabelle in the house to, like, pr to prove it to herself. Mm -hmm. Of course, as soon as Leah's taking a nap and Mia falls asleep on the couch, we see the TV shut off and the human Annabelle drifts through the apartment and we hear her pick up the baby. But then when, when Mia snaps awake, the TV's still on. Leah is fine. He's just, she's just awake in her bassinet. But okay. we know the entity is now there. Yes. Um, Leah sort of gets herself together and goes out and she meets some other kids in the building, Nancy and Robert, who are either 6 or 24. We will never know because I don't know. And Mia starts to talk to Nancy about her. She has a doll and be like, oh, I have dolls too. But Robert's like, don't talk, tell her your name. Don't talk to strangers. Again, a sign of the times. You know, yes. you can't be friendly, you know. Right. Because of all the cults mur murdering people. Right. So and many cults. Mia takes Leah out in this really fabulous old-fashioned-y green carriage. Like, it, everything's fabulous. She also wears, uh, like, a lot of, like, greens and, um, like, cranberry and mm -hmm. magenta. Like, really fabulous. Yeah. And she walks past a bookstore nearby, and she sees the cover of a book that says, The Devil's Welcome. And the owner, who is Evelyn, exits the store and says, Oh, hi, um, I live in your building, and I saw that you guys just moved in with a baby. And that's Alfrey Woodard. And I wanted to give you a baby book. And he's like, oh my God, thank you so much. But she kind of like keeps looking at the devil book and sort of like is like scared, but also kind of taken with it. Yes. When they return to the building, Nancy and Robert, the other little kids, have left Mia a drawing. And it's a picture, like a little stick drawing of her pushing Leah's carriage. And she's like, oh, that's very nice. Yeah. But then she finds a second drawing a couple steps up. And it's her and the carriage with Leah. In, and then there's um, a green garbage truck sort of in the distance. And as she walks up the stairs, another drawing drops from the landing. And in it, the garbage truck is closer. And then another one falls. Is it they're dropping them on her? And unfortunately, the garbage truck has hit the baby and uh, killed it. And the whole seat is covered in blood. 
That night, John looks at them with me and he is like, I'm going to talk to the parents. Like, if Leah ever did something like this when she was older, I'd want to know. And Sean said, Leah would never do any of this. These are terrible. The proportions are all wrong, which I thought was a fun point. But Mia is very freaked out. She's like, I, this is like, why would somebody do this? And John's like, these are just dumb kids. Like, they're just being weird. There's no threat here. We're safe. Meanwhile, we, of course, see in the nursery, Annabelle is just rocking in the chair with her head turned as if she's listening. Oh, my God. Mia and John argue. She's like, I'm here all day. I have no adult conversation. He's like, okay, don't worry. Tomorrow night, I'm going to come home early. Let's make dinner, open some wine, relax together, and we got to have all the adult conversation you like. Cut Mm -hmm. to Mia's all dressed up, lipstick on, dinner on the table, drinking wine, and, of course, John is stuck at work. She has the record player playing, and eventually she shuts it off and starts, you know, putting things away. And when she does, the record player keeps turning back on. And when she turns and looks in the living room, it looks like someone is standing behind the curtain. And she creeps over to say, like, hello, like she's going to confront this person. And the curtain billows in from the window, and it knocks Mia to the ground. And as she falls to the ground, a little girl runs past her into the nursery. So Mia's thinking, like, is that Nancy? Is this a kid playing a prank on this? Like, are these kids, like, targeting me? So Mia follows her, and we see a little girl in a white dress standing inside the nursery. And Mia asks, Mm. who are you? And suddenly the girl bolts towards her, which I think might have been in the trailer. Is The girl bolts towards her, and when she hits the door to open it, she becomes Annabelle the adult woman and attacks Mia. And Mia is screaming, and she falls against the wall, but then she opens her eyes. Annabelle is gone. Needless to say, when John eventually... It did happen. But the thing we're going to enter into, John comes home and he's like, you know, I, get, I know it's the late 60s, but there is some evidence like that some people go through like postpartum anxiety or postpartum issues. I think maybe you're dealing with a trauma. And I'm like, all this is like very accurate. And also in real life, that's what it would be. You know yes, I mean? absolutely. Yeah, in, in, in non-haunted doll life, like, yeah, that's like absolutely what's at stake here. But that's not where we are. Yes, and Mia tells him, I'm not crazy. And John says, well, I think you should talk to someone. And Mia tells him, I'm not making this up. Like, I'm not losing my mind. And John says, no, I'm not talking about a shrink. We're, of course, talking about a Catholic priest, baby. We're not talking about someone getting real help. We're talking about someone getting fictional Mm -hmm. Annabelle help. So we're going Mm -hmm. to Father Perez. And even Father Perez is like, you have been through so much. You are going to come through this stronger. Like, this is, I, I understand this has been such a tough like the number of months you had, the worst that you, uh, the people could experience, and the best. And we are going to work through this together. And Mia's very reassured by that. She's like, yeah. okay, you're right. Um, we'll, we'll talk to you, and, and we'll work through it through our faith. Sometime later, me and Leah are walking um, John out of the building. He's going mm-hmm. to work, and they run into Evelyn. And John's like, oh, I have to work the night shift, so we already know he's going to be late. And Evelyn offers them, like, if you ever want to tour of the neighborhood, if you want to hang out, you know, just let me know. And she's offering herself, like, you don't have to be alone with that baby all the time. Right. So back in the apartment, Mia puts Leah to bed. And behind her, we see the door slowly creak closed. Mm -hmm. And then in a very weird move that I guess, again, it was the 60s, Mia leaves the baby in the apartment to take down some broken down moving boxes into the basement. But I feel like an infant that small, you're not supposed to leave them alone. Is that, I don't know. I don't mean to be judgmental if someone's like, you're absolutely allowed to do that. In my mind, it can't leave your eye for six years. <laughs> right? Again, and, and who knows when they're six? Not me. I, not if me. I had a child, I'd be like, the kid's 30 or it's two. I have no not idea. I mean, 
So she goes down and they have like a, which I never had in New York, but you see, I I know there are a thing where it's like mm. every tenant has like a storage cage. So it's sort of oh, like a cage yeah, you yeah, can yeah, just yeah, sort yeah, of put yeah. stuff. She's down there. I've and seen the, I've never used one. It's dark. It's terrifying. In the distance at the end of the hallway, she hears a baby scream. And of course, she whips around being like, is that my baby? And she sees her green baby carriage at the end of the darkened hall and her baby screaming. Mm-hmm. So Mia runs over and looks inside, and there's just a bunch of bloody sheets. And she reaches down into it to see, like, pull them up to see if a baby's there. And Allison, a jet black demon hand, grabs her. <sighs> so she, of course, screams, and she books it to the elevator. And she gets to the elevator. She's pressed the button all frantic. And she turns around and saying next to the carriage, unfortunately, it is a gigantic jet black demon. No, no, no. Luckily... No. The door closes. And when it does, Mia looks and burned into her skin where the demon grabbed her is that symbol that was on the wall next to Annabelle, which in my mind looks like an A. Yes. And she's so distracted by it that when the door dings, she goes to leave and she looks up. There's still, she's still in the basement. The elevator hasn't gone anywhere. Oh my God. And she's trying to get the basement to the elevator move and she can't do it. So finally she hauls ass up the stairs. As the demon pursues her, up the darkened stairwell, and she barely gets back in time to slam the door. The next day, Mia calls Detective Clark and over to you. She's like, hey, uh, just wanted to check in and um, ask you a little bit something about yourself, and if you'd like some tea. And also, um, what was that cult those uh, two people were in? And like, what were they doing there? And he shows Mia photos of a young Annabelle. And we realize, because they show a flashback in case you don't get it, right. the little girl that she saw running in the apartment— yes is the young Annabelle the human. Oh, my Obviously. God. She is the young Annabelle the adult. So now we yes. kind of have three Annabelles to play. we got Annabelle the doll, Annabelle the adult woman, and then Annabelle the little girl, yes. who is the earlier version of uh, Annabelle, Annabelle the adult woman. Okay. And Mia says, well, so, like, what was this cult about? And, you know, it, Detective Clark is like, well, I did do a lot of digging, and it turns out, like, this was not an act of devotion. They were trying to conjure something. And Mia's like, well, what are they trying to conjure? He's like, I don't know, a demon, the devil, the tooth fairy. It doesn't really matter. It's all just a bunch of hocus pocus. Mia, however, would beg to differ. It matters quite a bit. So before Clark, Clark can stop her, she flips open his files and she sees all these crime scene photos. And it's only then that Mia sees the bloody symbol scrawled on the wall. So yes. I guess she didn't see it, but we did. Okay. Or she doesn't remember. Oh, okay. Got it. And she's I mean, got I'm sure she, like, blocked out a lot of, like, what yes. was happening around her. Yeah, she only would have seen it for a second on a right. stretcher. Yes. Like, you know, she probably just doesn't didn't retain all of it. And she has that thing now burn into her arm. And she asked him, like, well, what was the cult called? And he said, the cult called themselves the Disciples of the Ram. And she looks at the symbol. So I guess the A is also supposed to look like the head of a ram. Like, it's kind of, mm-hmm. like, stylized. So I think like it could be Like, maybe upside both. down? Well, like, it's like the A, but then there's, like, the two sticks go um, further. Oh, Almost like, like Blair uh, Witch. You know what I mean? Okay. Where, like, the oh, top okay. looks, okay. like, a little bit like a deer. Okay. I got that. Yeah. So, finally, Mia goes to the one other person in this movie who's expressed any fucking interest in her whatsoever. She goes to Evelyn's bookstore. And she's going through, like, the books. And she picks out a book called Diabolic Thurgy. Hmm. And this is what I got to say. Guys, as a reminder, don't order from Amazon. Support your local yes, demonology yes. bookstore. Yes. The books are there. You don't have to be giving Jeff Bezos lining his pockets when you're he trying to get rid of a demon. a demon. You do not need to further enhance his <laughs> demonic capabilities. 
Yes, exactly. Yeah, he's already got it. He's he's already summoned his demon. He, he it really worked out for him. If you need yes. to do the same, um, please a, a shop secondhand, shop local. Yeah. So Evelyn stops over to say hi, and Mia's like trying to hide. She's like, "Ha ha, sorry, just you're looking for a very normal book about normal stuff, you know, trying to hide it." And Evelyn tells her, "You're a terrible liar, and I'm too old to care what people like. Buy whatever you book. This is a bookstore. Like, yeah. I'm not going to judge you." And she says, like, what's going on? And Mia tells her, I think my family's being haunted, but I know that sounds crazy. And Evelyn says, you know, it's no crazier than the Red Sea parting. And I've had okay, some crazy well, experiences myself. And then she says, oh, aisle okay. four. Like, she knows exactly where, where, where yes. to find these books, which is yes. very fun. Um, so they go to the back of the bookstore, and they're going through a bunch of books that Evelyn has pulled. And Evelyn says, because everyone in this movie is like an expert in this, like, out of hand. They don't even need to read Mm -hmm. the books. Evelyn goes, I don't think it's a ghost. You moved and it's still happening. I think the cult successfully summoned an inhuman spirit. And Mia says, oh, great, a demon. And Mia's like, so what does the demon want? And Evelyn tells her they want a soul. And she sort of reaches over to touch Mia's hand. And we see a gigantic scar on Evelyn's wrist, ostensibly from an attempt on her life. Oh, okay. So, Not like a like a matching scar. To, no, no. Okay, I see. Yeah, this seemed like it was like so she inner explained, demons. So yeah, yes, inner demons, human de- like human, human yeah. humanity. Got it. You know the 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 violence and and terror of humanity. So she's explaining basically. Um, Evelyn shows me a locket with her daughter Ruby's photo in it. Like one is a baby, one is like a young woman, and she tells her. When my daughter Ruby died, I really thought there was something left for me to live for. But, but you know, I made an attempt at my life. And when I laid there dying, I heard her voice. And Ruby told me in that voice that it wasn't my time and that God had another purpose for me. And sort of a way to be like, I know what you're going through is weird, but I had an mm-hmm. experience that was also very weird. So I'm very, I, I get, this could be real. And she tells, you know, Mia, your purpose is to protect your family. You know, that's your ultimate purpose. That's not crazy at all. So Mia's like, okay, great. I've got one person on my side. And John's supportive, but he's still like, this seems like maybe you're going through something and we we, mm-hmm. we should just be working together to get through it. Mm-hmm. Wheeling the baby's carriage home, Mia stops in front of her apartment building. She kind of fumbles her keys and drops them. She stands up. And when she looks up, she sees the image of Annabelle the person holding Annabelle the doll in the reflection of the glass of the front door. And Allison, in that moment, she doesn't notice the carriage rolling off the sidewalk and into the street. Oh, no. Right in front of a garbage truck, just like those crayon drawings foretold. the drawings. The truck slams into the carriage, and luckily, instead of a exploded baby, just a bunch of occult books fly up in the air. And Mia turns around, and we see that Mia Mia has Leah strapped to her chest. Okay. Okay, so it wasn't in the carriage. It was just she was carrying all the books. I love that the books are battered, but they're still okay. It was pre-told by children's drawings, which even if nobody got hurt, I don't love it. <laughs> don't love it. And also, it didn't. She didn't like do anything to change her behavior. Right. So if it was an omen, she didn't react to it. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it makes no sense, but it makes sense in the yes. movie. So Mia goes home. She's reading all of her books about demonology. I'm sure. John is going to love it when he gets home and sees what she's up to. And she finds out that the devil feeds on the weak and the vulnerable. And the implication, Allison, is that that devil wants to eat up that baby Leah. Yeah. He's going to eat that baby. Just then, Mia hears hears the mobile in the nursery and starts playing his little dingly, dingly, ding song. Mm -hmm. So she goes to investigate, leaving the baby alone. I get it. It's too much of that. It was the 60s, but whatever. 
while she's in the nursery, the door slams shut behind her and she screams, but she can't open it. It's locked behind her. Mm-hmm. The, the door is locked behind her. Mia drops to the floor to look under the door to see if, if the baby's okay. And the books are being pushed off the bookcase, precariously close to the baby. And suddenly a body hits the floor in front of the crack under the door. Okay. Unfortunately, the body is Annabelle the doll. So she is up and she is Adam. This she's all she's bitch. up and about. Mia is able to like break the doorknob off and opens the door and she runs to the baby. However, when she scoops her up, Mia turns around to find Annabelle the doll levitating Mm-mm. in the sunlight streaming through the window. No. Mia screams, and luckily John is just arriving home. And he finds all the furniture overturned, and his wife is hysterical, but there's no Annabelle, and she's not flying. Cut to Father Perez is arriving to come over and get the lowdown. And uh, Mia's explaining everything that happened, and John's like, I'm sorry, but what does a doll have to do with a demon? Father Perez was a Catholic priest. Yeah. And just a normal one. He says, Demons can sometimes use objects as conduits to achieve their desired goal. It's like, well, how does he know all about it? What? You have to know all kinds of other religious stuff. Yes. Like, why is this obscure, non-real, I guess, except for in this movie, thing, like, part of your immediate recollection that you can just it's spout so off yeah, in everyone conversation? Everyone they talk to is just like, well, the thing about demons, it's they like, just well, know everyone should know this. And Mia's like, I know that it wants Leah's soul. But Father Price says, uh, on the plus side, you know, a, a demon can't just take a soul. A soul has to be offered in order for it to be taken. And John's like, okay, well, great. So we're not going to offer the baby soul to the devil, so we're going to be fine. But Father Price tells him, okay, it should be that easy, but no one ever plans to offer their soul. They're tricked out of it. The devil tricks you into thinking that you have to do it. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of like, are we going to be able to trust what is happening mm-hmm. and are, and will our reactions to it be manipulated by the devil? On another negative side, Father Prez doesn't know how to stop the demon from coming back. And he says, well, I've heard of a couple that church has worked with. They live out east, though, so it might take a bit to hear from them. That's the reference to Ed and Lorraine Warren. They're not in the film, which I thought was funny. Okay, that's good. So Father Perez, because he's uh, he's doing the best he can, he knows all about demons, he says, Here we're gonna, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take Annabelle and store her in the church. Um, one, okay. we'll get her out of the apartment, which I think is great. Yeah. And two... I'm hoping, like, the holiness of the place might help sort of contain her or nullify her or whatever. Unfortunately, Allison, while Father Price is driving home, the radio is suddenly, like, starts being on the fritz. He starts hearing whispered demonic voices under the programming. He shuts out the radio, and he continues to hear the whispers. Father Price finally arrives at the Mm. church, and he takes Annabelle inside. But what he doesn't see is Annabelle the human is sitting in the back seat staring straight ahead. Oh, my God. He does, however, see her standing behind him. So he starts running up the steps to the church. As he gets to the door, before he can cross the threshold, Allison, Father Prez is yanked violently backwards. Like, he flies back down the stairs, and the doll clatters out of his arms, and we see the human Annabelle pick up Annabelle the doll and carry her off. Oy. It's just like, let hospital. her have the doll. Is that the plan? I mean, like, yes, if that's what she wants. But unfortunately, a lot more stuff's going to happen. Yeah. So if she just wanted the doll, I would be comfortable with that. That seems yeah. fair. You know, she didn't buy it. It's not hers, but whatever. It's okay, but okay. Over at the hospital, John is fortunately working. He's in his residency, I guess, when Father Perez is brought in. Meanwhile, at the apartment, Evelyn stops by with some baby clothes for Leah, and she makes a comment like, 
you know, I never got a chance for grandkids. So like, I'd love to spoil your baby. I bought her these clothes. And he's like, oh my God, you don't have to do that. But they have like a nice moment. And um, uh, Evelyn helps uh, her calm down the baby and shows her like, sort of like, oh, this is what I did when Ruby was a baby. And they put her to bed. And finally, they're able to like sit, have a glass of wine, talk about how a demon's haunting their family, her mm-hmm. family, you know. And Mia asks Evelyn how Ruby died. And Ruby tells her it was a car accident when Evelyn was driving with Ruby back from visiting Evelyn's parents, who live in like okay. Northern California. And Evelyn fell asleep at the wheel driving home. And she said that she woke up three weeks later and Ruby never did. Oof. Which is incredibly sad. That's super, super, super sad. So while that's going on, in the, at the hospital, Father Perez wakes up and says, I saw the evil presence and now the doll is gone. It wants to take her soul. But John says, but Lee's a baby. And Father Perez says, no, babies can't offer their souls. So if it's not the baby, who is it, Allison? Mia? Yes, the demon yeah. is going to try to take Mia's soul. That seems clear. Which brings me to my next question. Who will survive the film, Allison? Who will survive? Oof. I mean, I'm going to say not Mia. Okay, great. So I'm going to write down who we have. Mia. Yeah. Okay, we're saying she's not going to pick it. Yeah. John. How do you feel about John? I feel like someone has to be alive to, like, tra- take this doll to wherever it goes next. So I'm going to guess John makes it. Okay. Love it. All right, what about Evelyn? She's been incredibly helpful. She has a tragic backstory. Yeah. She my I demons. Think her, she's survived so much, I think she'll continue to survive. Okay, and then finally, Father Perez. He will die. Okay, and I guess, what do we think is going to happen to Annabelle? She's not alive. Yeah, I guess, like, maybe eventually this version of her will be destroyed somehow. Okay, yeah. Because the thing is, we know there's sequels. So yeah, it's sort it's, of like— Yeah, it's kind of like—and also, she lives in a liminal space already. Like, she's not yes. alive, so. So, yeah, can you die if you're not alive? Hard to say. Someone write in. <laughs> <laughs> Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Unlike everyone else in horror movie history, John has the decency to call home immediately and say, get out of the house. Unfortunately, the force of Annabelle or the devil, the line starts breaking up. So he can't get through to Mia. So he hangs up and he dashes home. Just then, there's a knock on the door and Mia looks through the people and it looks like it's Father Perez. Of course it's not. We know he's in the hospital. So Allison, she opens the door. And he's turned away from her. So we're looking at Father Mm. Perez's back. So Mia sort of reaches out to tap his shoulder 
And the obviously fake Father Perez screams, may God have mercy on your soul. And the door slams and Mia's just like, oh God. And the radio starts playing and the table shaking. And Evelyn screams at uh, and Mia like, we have to get out of here. And Mia yes. runs to the nursery. The baby is gone. And she can only hear her crying and crying. And she's running through. This whole sequence I thought was great. Running through the, the rooms, hearing her crying and like screaming and like not being able to find her baby. Terrified. Yeah, truly. And and Evelyn has the door open. And he's like, come out in the hallway. And she's like, I can't leave that my baby. And Evelyn says, we have to go. We'll get her back. We'll have to go to the church and they'll help us. And I'm like, I don't know if that makes any sense. Like, What can they even leave? do at the church? Yeah. Which I think is a question for a lot of the Conjuring universe, yes. where it's like, wait, yes. but what? Wait, but how? But what about who? And yeah. in but this case, what? I'm like, yeah, I, yeah. We already had Father Perez. He got his ass right. kicked. Like, I don't, you know. Just then, they hear what sounds like we've heard earlier, the stomping of the upstairs neighbor, and they look to the ceiling, but it's not the upstairs neighbors, Allison. It's a goddamn demon hanging to the seat from the ceiling. So it swings down and it no. kicks Evelyn out the door down the stairwell. Jesus. Mia's still, she's like, okay, I got to find the baby. This is going crazy. She runs to the apartment screaming, only to find Annabelle in the living room. And Mia screams, what do you want from me? And Allison, Bell. we all know what the demon wants. In the, on the ceiling of the nursery, scrawled in crayon like a child would write, are just the words, her soul, her soul, her soul, over and over again. So Mia looks in the crib, desperate to find the baby. And she finds Annabelle the doll. And she screams, give her oh, back God. to me. You give her back. And she shakes her. And then she starts busting that doll over the edge of the crib, like battering the doll. And she throws her across the room, only to look at the doll she's just thrown to see Leah's limp body. It wasn't oh, Annabelle she was slamming against the crib. It was the baby. It was baby. the baby. Or the was it? Luckily, oh, Mia looks down again, and it's a totally different doll from her collection that's like laughing maniacally. Oh, so luckily, good. she didn't kill her own baby. So we got that going for us at this point in the Thank film. Thank God. I mean, we need something. And so Mia's screaming, like, where is she? There has to be another way. Like, don't take her soul. And the window opens, and we see written on the glass, it says, your soul. So what we understand is the demon is going to trick Mia into killing herself, like Father Perez alluded to, to save her baby's oh, soul. I see. So that's where sort of like, the, you're never going to okay. offer your soul because it seems like a great idea. I mean, to be fair, even the logic of that doesn't make sense because like Annabelle and her boyfriend did. Uh, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Hmm. And this is the where— The logic doesn't hold up. And I would say from here on out, I am just—this movie makes me furious. So, okay, and, and if you want to write and be like, here, Hallie, I think you've misunderstood it. That's fine. I'm happy to—maybe I'm misunderstanding some things. what happened. <laughs> so my understanding is she's going to kill herself like— the, we, we, we sort of like she's going to offer herself because she thinks that she's going to have to in order to not have the demon come for her baby. And to be fair, in her point, the demon has taken the baby. We don't know where the, the baby is. Mm -hmm. The demon wants a soul. And just because the baby can't speak, I guess, or think in that way, it has to go for someone who can give over their soul. Yeah. And then the demon will be satisfied and ostensibly leave the remaining people alone. Luckily, just then, Evelyn has come to you on the stairs and John has just found a parking space. So they both oh. run up the stairs and they're pounding on the door and they're screaming, like, let us in, let us in. But Allison, it's too late. Mm. Mia is walking towards the open window, ready to sacrifice her soul, and she whispers, Mommy's coming. And Mia picks up Annabelle the doll and holds it in her arms as she goes to jump out the window. And Evelyn and John burst into the nursery and they're like, don't do it! They run to stop her. But Mia tells them, I need to do this. Tell her I love her, John. 
And luckily, John's able to lunge through Mia and drag her back inside. But Mia's like screaming and clawing to get back to the window. And it's like, please let me save her. No, 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 think about this. You don't want to do this. Hey, listen to me. No, stop, 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 stop. No! You said you'd save her. You said you'd save her over me. You promised. Please. No, no, think about our baby. Think about the. Uh... And from behind them, we hear Evelyn's voice say, I can do it. I can make it right. And John and Mia turn. And now How? Evelyn is standing in the window holding the Annabelle doll. And Evelyn tells them, this is what Ruby meant when I heard that voice, that I had a purpose. And she drops backward out the window to her death. This lady. Wow. And as we see Evelyn bleeding out on the sidewalk, we hear, Leah, we hear the baby cooing in her crib, and we hear Father Perez talking to his parishioners, God honors sacrifice, and our sacrifices touch God's heart and move his hand. Six months later, Mia, John, and the baby go to church, and Father Perez asks, is there any sign of the doll? And they say no. They say, oh, the, the police thought they checked it in as evidence, but now it's not there, and oh, they really can't find it. sure she's not there. To which I have to say, Allison, this is the most racist ending to a movie. Oh, no. Because what this movie is implying is that we saw a black mother whose um, child died, Yes. sacrifice herself, and then we are now seeing the happy ending of the white family. Ugh. Ugh. And Father Perez says to them, well, I hope whoever gets the doll next gets the help they need, which is a whole other thing. Gets you the doll You know there's a demonic next. doll, and you are all totally fine with just not doing anything about it. It just exists. And he gives them a framed photo of the photo you took of Mia, Mia and Leah, and it says, the loveliest masterpiece in the heart of God is the love of the mother, and Mia smiles. The mother who sacrificed herself was Evelyn. Right, not— You don't get to smile like, you're right, I really did like, sacrifice myself. I did it. An actual human woman died. Died, died. The demon won. Who has nothing to do with you either, like— Like, right. it doesn't make any sense. You know no. what I mean? Like, Yeah, I don't understand like, what, like, who's, like, responsible for what. Like, can you just, like, trade people around? Like, did— uh, but, like, know. even if that's true, even if that's the case. Sure. Like, a somebody died. Right. So, like— Things aren't they, good. The demon won. Yeah. They, yes, it didn't kill a baby, which I guess is an impure good. Sure. But it still killed Mia, a lady. It still killed a lady. And in this case, a black lady—and listen, it is a very common trope, especially in horror movies, that— you know, for example, like Child's Play, you have a mm -hmm. sort of a mystical black figure who has just the information they need, and then right. they die yes. in service of saving a, a white family or often a white child. But in Child's Play, it was the 80s, and this came out in 2014. And I just got to think that we yeah. have seen this trope enough to know that it's not a It's done. Well, not a, it's, not, it's just racist to be moved, like, yes. well— we, it looks, at least this, all, this white family lived. And to have her smile and look at the photo of herself and her child without being like, somebody died. The demon took this woman's soul. Right. This is a, a bad ending. They don't seem mournful or, like, upset. Like, they're just like, oh, good, our lives remain unchanged and we got what we needed from this non-white person that we, like... Yes. Yeah. Also, Annabelle's racist. Also, Annabelle's racist. cut to ostensibly months later, a mm -hmm. secondhand store, Allison, where a mother is trying to find a doll for her daughter, who is a nurse. And she gasps and she sees Annabelle, who is now all fucking scarred up, all chipped, all yes. cut to hell. And you want her to say something like, oh, it's in terrible condition, but these dolls were really expensive. Or like, 
boy, I bet I can restore it. I, I, we're doll collectors. Right. Anything. She just says, oh, my daughter, she's a nurse. She's going to love it. Cutting to our ending text, Annabelle now sits in a glass case inside the, inside the artifact room of Ed and Lorraine Warren. It is blessed by a priest twice a month. And also a quote from Lorraine Warren, spiritual investigator slash grifter extraordinaire. Mm -hmm. The threat of evil is ever present. We can't contain it as long as we stay vigilant, but it can never truly be destroyed. You know what that, that statement is about? That is about racism. Yes, yes. <laughs> because this movie, we follow yes. a white woman the whole time, and the victory of the film is that a black woman dies in her place. No, unacceptable. It's an unacceptable chain of events. There's no one learned the right lessons. Everybody's takeaway is wrong. We're ignoring I mean, so, hugely says, racist traumas and and tragedies like I uh, when she says I this is what I'm supposed to do if you're gonna and I'm not saying you can't have a black person die in a horror movie obviously but then we gotta follow her a little more we gotta get some moments alone with her like we gotta have like not just like three scenes where she's like here's my tragic backstory my life is horrible and I'm gonna sacrifice like it's like the movie should be about her then if that's yeah. you know it, it, the ending just sat so wrong with me um, that being said, beautifully shot, wonderful yeah. interiors. These uh, movies are tough, I think. To yeah, I feel like it's like they, they start out well, and then by the end, you're like, man, I guess what's even going on? Yeah, I guess. But let's let's get into it. What are some fatal mistakes that uh, people may have made in the film Annabelle? Fatal mistakes. I mean, again, I would have destroyed Annabelle much earlier. Mm -hmm. Not that it seems that it would have done as much, but I think it would yeah. have, like, it'd be a little harder to excuse her showing up again in a way that I think people are like, oh, like, she's here, she's back. What, like, it would be, like, a little bit more alarming to all of a sudden be like, hey, that doll that we burned down to ash, it's been rematerialized. <laughs> like, Yeah, and I think it's sort of like, um, you know, sort of the Chucky issue, the Brahms issue, it's like, if Annabelle, like, Annabelle was thrown away, but we saw Annabelle the human spirit could, like, pick her up and carry her around. Mm -hmm. So if you set her on fire, doused her in kerosene, yeah. threw her, you know, threw her in a nuclear reactor, threw her in a volcano, would that well, just release the spirit and would go to something else? Or, like, would, does yeah. the actual corporeal form mean anything? Hold on. It's unclear. Yeah, I know. It's unclear. Um, also, just buying dolls as gifts, like, for adults. We don't need to do that. Uh, it's just like, as a woman, like, oh, you don't have to buy your mom a candle or whatever. I would take a candle any day of the week before a yeah. disgusting, a mangled, giant. giant doll. No. Absolutely not. No, Buy me some not. lotions and yeah, a candle and let's be done with and it. a mug. I don't even care anymore. It just, just not that. Can't be that. World's best mom. You know, sure. like, or, well, second best, you know, like, yeah. I, give give me something. Anything. Yeah, I, that to Those me is destroy, just destroy, destroy yeah. Annabelle corporeally. Don't yes. don't say like we need to keep this doll as a manifestation of my triumph over my trauma. We don't have to yeah. do it. Um, and then finally, Allison, where would you put Annabelle on the spooky scale? A spooky scale. I feel like the actual like visuals of the movie are so were very scary. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, knowing how ridiculous and enraging the plot is really brings it down. I'm going to say a six. Okay, great. I, you know, I'm going to say, I'm going to give this, like, a one. Okay. Because I think there were a lot of, like, visuals that are interesting or, like, well-crafted and well-shot, 
I was never scared. There's nothing scary about this to me. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, it is it is a haunted doll, which is not really something that I particularly find scary. You know, um, I, I think it's harder to be scary when you're not dealing directly. Like, um, you know, Child's Play, it's a child protagonist. So, right. like, he's not exactly. able to really understand it. That's kind of scary, I think. Yes. Um, alternately, you know, say a puppet master where... Sure. You know, I mean, they're more grotesque themselves. Yes. Annabelle, she's gross to look at, but boy, Puppet Master blows that shit out of the water, you know? Yeah. Um. So, guys, we hope you enjoyed this. Sorry I'm so mad, but I really am. Like, I'm still no, no, mad. No, no. Like, this, I'm like, I, you got, oh, that's the end of the movie. I feel like this earns <laughs> the rage. That's what yeah. I screamed out loud. That's what I screamed. I, yeah. So, let us know what you think, but that's that's my take on this film. And um, please um, join us again. Uh, next week, we will yeah, ruin a different movie. I hope you're enjoying Toys Month. Toys are scary. Toys, toys are scary. Toys are us. Toys are us. And Remember we that? Are... Does that still exist? I don't think so. R.I.P. Toys are us. Oh. Uh, if you leave us a spooky review with five stars, we'll be reading them on the podcast as they come in. We've gotten a bunch at the beginning, and like we... They're so funny and so scary and so creepy, and you guys are maniacs, and we love it so much. So please continue to do that as the algorithm dictates everything about our lives, and we need those. So uh, leave some of those. If you have questions, email us at ruinedattheradiopoint.com, and you can follow us at Ruin Podcast on Twitter and Instagram for more goofy shit. I don't know. <laughs> goofy, spooky shit. Goofy, spooky shit. Um, Yeah, well, we'll see you soon. And until then, guys, please. We must ask you. Keep it spooky. And don't be racist. And don't be racist. Ruined is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder. Recorded and edited by Kat Iosa. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix.